0: Hello, welcome to Breakfast at Cinema's podcast series, Cinema, My Child and Me, where Abhinav and Shibangi share film recommendations appropriate for all ages and some ideas on how to use this collective film viewing experience to help initiate conversations with your children or students to help them learn in a fun manner. We would like to state that this podcast is meant to be a guide for parents or teachers to engage with children in a different way. While we are going to be careful about recommending movies appropriate for all ages, we request you to explore these films by yourself first to check for anything which may trigger a difficult or unpleasant emotion in your children because of very specific circumstances. The films we talk about here are our personal selections for each episode's theme. Welcome to a brand new episode of Cinema My Child and Me. Today we're going to be talking about a fantastic, epic animation film called Kubo and the Two Strings. (music) Director Travis Knight was hooked to the idea of a stop-motion samurai epic when he first heard his production studio Laika's production designer Shannon Tindall talk about it. Even though Laika had never addressed the genre before, Knight decided to helm the project because of his love for epic fantasies and Japanese culture. Putting together research to determine the finer details of the overall treatment of the film, including the production design, story, dialogue, must have been backbreaking work. But the results speak for themselves. Kubo and the Two Strings is an enjoyable ride, which is also smart, funny and meaningful. The film follows our titular young samurai hero as he is forced to set off on a journey to discover his past. Along the way, he finds unusual companions who make his journey easier by helping put together pieces of the puzzle that is his life. The film is a masterclass in stop-motion animation, right from the epic opening scene to the climactic fight and the tender and humane resolution that follows. Kubo and the Two Strings has some frightening bits which may require parental guidance for kids below about 8 years of age. Please take a call on this as you know how sensitive your kids may be to certain kinds of scary scenes. There's no gore, no bloodshed, no violence involved, but there are monsters and there are bad storms and the like. This film nominated for the Best Animation Feature at the Oscars and winner in the same category at BAFTA, is available on Amazon Prime Video and Netflix in various regions. It is also available on YouTube. Abhinav, take us through some of the quick impressions that you had about the film.
1: You've used the word epic, epic, epic. It's an enrapturing story of epic proportions. We are thrown headlong into the story with the first sentence spoken and the first scene that opens. The universe is quickly established and continues throughout. As the first sequence ends, you are left gasping for breath and left wanting for more. We have always held the belief that animation is the father of all cinema, even though the technology arrived a little later. Animation is the stuff our dreams are made up of, our nightmares are constructed in. And this movie combines the ideas phenomenally well. A truly engrossing piece of art and entertainment that proves how cinema was born in the cave arts of prehistoric men and that animation is not a children's game, it's a human medium.
0: I, for one, was really taken by the quality of animation. The opening scene that both of us are constantly talking about and referring to, it's actually setting the tone for what to expect. And there is that certain part that comes in around 10 minutes into the film, which I'll be talking about when I come to our favorite scenes bit. It hooked me from the word go. I was so captivated by what was happening on screen and I just couldn't get enough of it. I also like the fact that this story draws from several other popular stories. There's the Harry Potter element where you can look at people being converted into horcruxes but with some positive effects sometimes. There are eyes inside a water body that are trying to lure Kubo deeper into the ocean There is that reference to Cinderella where Kubo cannot stay out late in the evening and he has to come back home once the sun sets. There is a reference to Arabian Nights where he cannot complete a story because he doesn't know it. But all the same, it keeps his listeners coming back every day because they want to hear the end of the story. Also, the very first scene has a small bit which reminds me of the story of Moses and how he parted the Red Sea. (laughs) Uh, There's also, you know, when he... ...collects his unusual companions along his journey. It reminded me a little bit of Dorothy and her companions in The Wizard of Oz.
1: In fact, as you're mentioning the Shibangi, it's very interesting... ...that they always end up telling us there's nothing original. There are only seven stories in the world. It's very interesting how a new story is created... ...which is based on so many old stories... ...but is not ripping off a single one of them. You can see the references... You can see the influences, but you can definitely say that this is original by itself.
0: Exactly. And what is most interesting is this is an all-American crew, which has so beautifully understood the Japanese folklore and Japanese traditions and culture, and has created a universe that is absolutely believable in spite of the influences that we are talking about, in spite of them being very Mm -hmm. Western or Middle Eastern in a sense. I really believe that this is a truly original work Exactly like you said, I still believe it should inspire storytellers to tell original stories.
1: Alright, let's launch into the themes. Shibangi.
0: One of the first themes I noticed is eyes. Eyes are the window to one's soul, as we've heard right from our childhood. We start out with wondering why the grandfather stole Kubo's eyes or why the aunties wear masks where their faces are not visible. Most of all, their eyes are covered. Why the Moon King is blind. His eyes look like milky orbs, like he has cataracts. Actually, eyes are also how we are told later on in the story about how Kubo's parents fell in love with each other. I actually uh, love the fact that they are looking at this particular theme so closely in the movie. I believe the movie has latched on to a very important element of communication that is looking at each other while speaking because we understand what it means when we look into each other's eyes.
1: You're forcing me to remember those very difficult times from my childhood when I would actually want to lie to my teachers and they would say, look into our eyes and then talk. (laughs) And then all truth would come out. And on the other hand, I think it also addresses one of the oldest themes in cinema. Eyes have always been at the center of how this medium is received. So yeah, absolutely agree. I think one of the themes that I am taking away from this film is how to break away from traditions to find your own meaning and eventually using the suitable parts of the tradition to heal everyone around. So it's not like everything in the past is bad, but there are certain things that do get contaminated, that do get taken over, for lack of better word, by superstition. And they might not have relevance anymore in, in today's world. And when that happens, it's the job of the young to look with their eyes, as you rightly said and then weed away what is not relevant anymore.
0: There's another aspect of human communication that I also found very prevalent in the film that is the power of storytelling. Kubo knows about his father through her mother's stories. He is apparently dead even before we begin the story. Kubo makes a living by telling stories at the village square which come alive through his brilliant origami figures. And the stories told and heard throughout the duration of the movie are what help Kubo and us the audience tie the various threads together to arrive at the mystery behind Kubo's family's fraught relationship with Kubo's grandfather. I also like the fact that the story draws inspiration from other stories like I talked about in my quick impressions. It is a truly original piece of storytelling where the director through the protagonist Kubo reminds the audience several times in the beginning to pay attention to detail. If you must blink, do it now is what he keeps repeating. And what a way to reiterate that the joy of storytelling, sharing, listening and reading lies in the finer detail of what we latch on and what we miss. That is exactly what helps us tie the stories in our head together.
1: It's also, I think, caution to all those people who don't settle into cinema for the first 10 minutes and then they keep asking throughout the film, what happened? Hey, how did this happen? How did... You've missed something. There is something very important happening right at the beginning. And the storyteller is telling us, as you said, if you must blink, do it now.
0: That's right. And if you must chew on the popcorn or look into your popcorn bowl... Do it now because you might miss something while you're munching on your snacks. That is something that I and Abhinav strongly believe in. Snacks are for the intermission. Snacks are for before the movie and snacks are for after the movie. There's nothing that should engage you more than the film when the film is playing. By the way, the word story, storyteller, stories or any other variation of story is spoken at least 30 times in the film. Out of which, in the last 15 minutes, there are 13 times that these words are mentioned. (laughs) So it is very interesting to note that the director has actually thought of how stories tie humans together, how they bring humans together, and how they help them form relationships.
1: Picking up on that, I think it's stories that define who we are as individuals. We grew up listening to stories of our grandparents' exploits, uh, the exploits of our historical figures, the exploits of uh, people who came before us, and that defines who we are. And it's very important to understand uh, what happened in our past to create a future for ourselves. We have often heard this being stated. History repeats itself. And the only reason I think it repeats itself is because we haven't learned from our history. We haven't paid attention to it. We haven't uh, gone into it and said this must not happen anymore. Coming back to where you started from is the other part of this history and future element. We all know the alchemist. We all know so many stories where the hero starts the journey and then comes back to where the journey began from to really understand what he has gone through. Despite having heard these stories so often, we still do not choose to look back at our past. We keep saying, hey, you know, what has happened has happened, let's move on. But have we dealt with what has happened? Which is another reason why so often English cinema keeps repeating the stories of second world war to tell us, to caution us, to warn us that this must not be repeated again.
0: There's a lot of emphasis on family. The movie is a great way to segue into conversations with children about the importance and essence of a family. When we meet the infant Kubo, he already seems to have lost his father, like I mentioned earlier. A few minutes in, we find out that his mother is also gradually fading away because her memories are fading away. However, it is the love of both his parents, even though in forms he doesn't recognize, which helps him get to his goals. The resolution of the story involves bringing in the grandfather, reformed, although his anger was also to do with his daughter's betrayal. There is a whole lot of understanding about how parents need to be with their children. There's a whole lot of understanding about how we can choose to have relationships outside the family if we find them good and nurturing enough.
1: Just like all other uh, superhero quests, this story is also about the quest of finding Kubo's superpower and how it ends. With him claiming the origin story, which is why origin stories in all superhero films and all superhero comics are so, so important. If we don't know what has happened in the past, we don't know what is going to happen in the future. That's and right. connecting with the memory part, this entire claiming of the superpowers is what needs to be dealt with so that we can tackle a problem which, if left neglected, left ignored, can only become dragon size. What I mean by that, when you watch the film, you will realize how the problems do become dragon size eventually. It's important, as you rightly said, what are the various memories that are available to us of our pasts and to understand that there are good things also and bad things also that together make the history of who we are. Dealing with that and to remember the good parts is what uh, makes the future more secure maybe. We often talk about this in our sessions you might have been good to someone but if the other person did not feel it if they felt betrayed in some way if they felt neglected in some way if they felt mistreated in some way it's that taste which remains not necessarily the act which was done to them and uh, to come back to our favorite theme cinema and memories are interconnected these memories fully formed and understood of his parents eventually become his friends as you talked about this Let's get into the technicals, Shibangi.
0: First technical bit that I love about this film is the background music. I think the choice to have the shamisen guitar as one of Kubo's magic accompaniments is genius. The shamisen guitar is a version of the guitar in Japan that has a very folksy, stringy sound to it. The music has been composed by Dario Marianelli, who has done a lovely job in uh, putting together the background score for the film, the entire music seems to enhance the whole Japanese feel and effect in the film.
1: And the theme music uh, is one of our favorite songs. An all-time right. favorite song of maybe all music lovers in the world. Um, My Guitar Gently Weeps.
0: That's right. This rendition by Regina Spector and with the Shamisen guitar uh, providing the music is also actually brilliant. The I remember a music-crazy friend of ours kept listening to the song on a loop for several hours when we introduced the song to him. You have to listen to it to know what we are talking about.
1: For me, I think Laika Animation is quite known for dealing with dark themes. They have some very interesting films in their repertoire. Actually, what is interesting in this film is it begins with dark notes. It sort of ends on a dark note. But the middle portions are so brightly lit that you can't feel but a skip of joy in your heart. It's a shadowy world which when opens up in parts creates hopes. The brilliance is created is in creating a believable universe and the first sequence pulls us in right away. We will continue to refer to the first sequence because there are so many things that are brought in as references. Uh, As you rightly mentioned, Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. If you look at the camera angles that are employed in the first scene, how you go deep following the waters that open up, that close in on the character that's available and the very important, very ominous presence of the moon in its full glory present every time Kubo is in trouble.
0: I remember that.
1: We have seen this film countless number of times by now, but every time that opening sequence happens, we wince Because even though we know it's coming, we're still taken by surprise.
0: Yeah, it's actually a marvel because of the camera, the way it follows the wave and the two people in the boat during the storm in the ocean. It impacts us the way it does. I would like to draw attention to the fact that Kubo and the Two Strings is the longest stop-motion animation film to have been made ever. That it also contains one of the biggest, largest stop-motion puppets to have been built, which is the skeleton in the cave. It stands at 18 feet tall and they had to get several props and engineers and robots to run the skeleton in a way where it would look as real as possible. I think even the skeleton is actually based on Japanese folklore. It is called the Gashadokuro it's actually beautifully done. It stops feeling like a stop motion picture at some point and it starts feeling more like a real story because the characters are so likeable because the way the camera follows the events because of the way the story comes together it all feels very real because of the dialogue too it's just like how parents would talk to us all the time you know being a little smart and being a little fun and being a little kind and nice and gentle with us whatever the situation demands
1: mind you the film is not at all trying to be cutesy but it does have cute elements in fact we see that death and resurrection morbidity and the stories of not so normal which are common to laika is present as a theme throughout this film and we see how in the end they redefine what is normal they expand the boundaries of acceptable and makes us believe in the story of others that is a very very important element of laika's animation now these are the stories that might be a little surprising for us. But at the end, if cinema services the story of others, we get better perspectives. That is something that Laika does so brilliantly well in this film. With the climactic resolution that happens, we are brought to a full circle. And I think that is the brilliance of how animation as a storytelling medium has been used in this film.
0: What are your favorite scenes?
1: (laughs) Every scene is favorite. What is there not to love in this uh, beautiful, beautiful film? I think we've talked enough about the opening scene, so let's not go back to that. That is one of my favorite scenes. You know, we often talk about how the universe of a film is created, and it's created right at the very beginning when we agree to certain terms and conditions about how this world is going to operate, and all of that happens in that opening scene. All of that happens uh, in a way where we understand, okay, it is a magical world. Okay, it is going to be the story about a mother and a son. Okay, it is going to be a story about impossible odds that people have to overcome. And uh, with that, I think the opening sequence probably deserves a place in some of the best opening sequences ever.
0: I agree. I like it when Kubo tells his story for the first time in the village square. I was wondering what's going to happen. There's this very sassy conversation that happens with a spunky grandmother-like figure in the village square just as Kubo steps in, finds out what's happening, you know, what are the events of the day. And then when Kubo launches into his storytelling is when I was left gobsmacked. My mouth was left hanging open when the origami figures just came alive. It is just beautiful and Kubo has this fantastic ability to weave in elements into his story based on the audience's demand.
1: Though there is the director's touch where he says, I'm not going to pay attention to the audience's demand. I'm telling my story. All right, you want a fire-breathing chicken? I'll do it for you.
0: Just if it entertains you, I'll do it for you.
1: And what is it about these grandmothers (laughs) always, you know? I think that also points to how children and their grandmothers or grandparents Engage with each other. They just keep telling stories to each other. The child would come home from school and would talk about... Exactly, uh, exactly.
0: I was just thinking of the same thing. Yeah, We had this one festival where we showed a film about the freedom fight in Goa. And this girl who shared a lot of love with her grandfather but had never really found ways to talk to him or communicate with him, went back home after watching the film and talked to her grandfather about it. Her grandfather immediately launched into how he was part of the whole Goa freedom movement. He removed his shirt, showed her the scars on his back that he had received from getting beaten up by the Portuguese soldiers. They had a lovely time bonding with each other and the next day the grandmother called us to thank us for providing them with that experience where they could find a reason to bond.
1: Take that story, you know, cinema is not just for entertainment.
0: <laughs> That's right. Abida, what's your next favorite scene?
1: The arrival at the castle... There is this beautiful montage of... We refer to the cave paintings of prehistoric men. There is that. There is connection with the shadow puppets of China. There is connection with so many historical art forms that when you enter the castle, because you're so attuned with the story and then you see what is unfolding, unfurling in front of you, you are holding your breath because of what is going to happen. You know it, but you don't want it to happen. And then when it actually happens... You say, okay, thank you for preparing me for that. I knew this is what is going to happen.
0: Yeah, if you look at the way the storyboarding and the animation is done, a lot of it is credited by the director, Travis Knight, to Hayao Miyazaki and Akira Kurosawa, who are both known for the brilliant animation and storyboarding skills. This is an out and out homage to both of them. It is also an homage to the Beatles because we've mentioned the song While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which is the closing song of the film. It also is interesting that one of the main characters in the film is a (laughs) Beatle.
1: That brings me to two scenes. I'm going to be doing a bit of bending the rules here. There is this beautiful scene where while two supporting characters are arguing with each other, Kubo, irritated, is standing on the side and uh, practicing his powers. And just as he gets into practice, we realize what depth his powers have. And that is the scene of the construction of the ship. And on the same ship, as we see later on, there is this epic battle scene. It is changing positions. It is going deep into the water. It is going high up in the sky. It is running across the ship. The camera just doesn't stop. One of the most interesting things about it is the camera is not being lazy in just showing us jerky movements and helping us understand that, Oh, this might be happening. It's a fantastic sequence where we are shown everything. Every wound becomes real, every hit becomes palpable, and every stroke is felt deep inside your heart.
0: In terms of how this particular boat is made animation-wise, the boat was covered in a 250,000 leaves, each put carefully by hand. Well, another one of my favorite scenes is when Kubo and the monkey have their first real conversation inside the whale carcass. I believe that is key to understanding how... Angry adults interact with inquisitive children sometimes. It is full of spunky dialogue. It is full of bits that take you back to so many lovely conversations that you've had with people around you.
1: And while it is funny, one of the things that is, that is also very interesting is that you get an insight into the child's mind. Uh, he has so many questions at that point. What is interesting is when he doesn't get the answers, he's not happy. And then the acts of rebellions begin. If only the other character at that point, if only they would have shared their vulnerability, things could have been very, very different. So it takes a lot of time. And when they do, all walls break down.
0: The last of my favorite scenes is when the aunties come to kill Kubo for the first time. Kubo! (laughs) It is scary. It takes you into another world all of a sudden because the movie starts with a bang. It goes into a lull for a bit and then there is this fantastic storytelling sequence and then suddenly you're taken back into the dark times when you don't know why Kubo is in danger and why his eye was taken away. These two aunties voiced by Rooney Mara, they are absolute pure evil. It is stunning the kind of effect they have the moment they appear on screen. I loved this scene.
1: It is scary. But you're extremely excited as well. So every time we're talking about this fear part, please understand it's from the perspective of this very young character who might get into trouble. As we said, it is a story of epic proportions. So it has to have sequences which will get into those very yeah, It is scary. spaces. It is
0: scary in the sense of how even in Harry Potter or even in Lord of the Rings, you have the evil elements and the evil wizards who are trying to do evil things to children around them. But it always ends in a fair and good resolution. So you need not worry about how it might impact your child. Oh, it It is is
1: funny. It is entertaining. But yeah, there are sequences. Alright, questions. What can we discuss with our children with this?
0: I think one of the loveliest uh, bonding exercises that can come out of watching this movie together is to talk to each other and list your strongest or happiest memory of each other and other family members.
1: So picking up on that oft-heard statement, child is the father of the man. So this is a story about how that actually happens. Get into that discussion, understand who you are, what your child is teaching you, and how you both are a product of everything that has happened in your past.
0: That's right. And it also helps you understand what it is about your interactions that your child cherishes, And also helps your uh, child understand what it is about your relationship that you cherish the most.
1: Hope and the idea of dreams and change. Definitely, that's one of the things that we can talk about when it comes to the child-parent relationship. My uh, second question would be, how do you focus on what you have and not on what you can't have? The I is not coming back, but the storytelling is getting better and better.
0: That's right. There's another thing that we can do is... Understand how to create a step-by-step plan for achieving goals, just like Kubo does in the movie supported by his two companions. Take into consideration the factors that emerge along the way as it happens with Kubo.
1: The third discussion that I would like to have when children are around me would be, how do you, as an adult, challenge your own understanding? I think children borrow their sense of certainty from others around them. And if people around them can also say, I know this much, But there's more to know. Children will have a very open mind to discovering more and more. Challenging is the only way a child realizes his or her own growth potentials. And that's how learning continues. So get into that discussion and say, I know this much, but maybe some more can be discovered.
0: Another one which goes a little bit into the religious, philosophical, spiritual realm is... Asking each other the question, do we believe our departed loved ones guide us and bless us even after they have gone?
1: We don't know whether they metaphysically exist or don't exist, but we know they always continue to exist.
0: In our memories, yes. A little bit of conversation around this can also help your children orient themselves towards the fact that they need to cherish whatever interactions they have with their family members. Uh,
1: Similar films, Shibangi.
0: I will go back to the film we discussed the last time, which is Hugo. It's also a lovely film on how Hugo manages loss, on how there are other characters in the film who are also dealing with their losses. I would also like to mention another film called Killa. It is a Marathi film and it released in the last decade. It's a beautiful film about dealing with loss of everything familiar and trying to adjust to everything new. It opened my eyes to a completely new style of filmmaking. It's a coming of age film and I think it's beautiful. Uh, children should watch it.
1: I have a few here. There is the short by Pixar called La Luna, a wordless film which is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. There is also the other one which many people might have watched called Piper from Pixar Studios, another short film. There's a Hindi film called Iqbal which we love and adore because it is about not focusing on what you don't have. Rather focusing on what you have. There's a Tamil film called Kakamuttai, which translated means The Crow's Eggs. Again, circling back to what you have, focusing on that and building on that, which was also remade in Marathi with the name Half Ticket. There's a very old Hindi film called Boot Polish. It's about having dreams and moving on from what you have lost already. We have mentioned earlier a few other films. There is obviously the Harry Potter series, which connects so well with how we grow up as individuals. And there is the epic three-part film called Lord of the Rings. Well, if we have to tell our children that you need to pick up skills, you need to do things in a world which is drastically changing, which is emerging as a challenge to you, There's the story of Frodo Baggins who walks out of his village and does things to save the world.
0: With this, we come to the end of the podcast for this episode. Please go to our website www.breakfastatcinema.com to answer the poll question for this episode. We would also like to hear from you what you like about our podcast and what we can do better. Please write to us on any of our social media accounts and we would love to hear from you. So long. Have a great time watching Kubo and the Two Strings and think of us when you do. We hope you have a wonderful time.
1: As our guitar gently weeps, happy watching. Cinema My Child and Me is brought to you by Breakfast at Cinema, working in the areas of education of cinema and education through cinema since 2014, with children and adults of all ages. Music brought to you by young and enthusiastic supporters of our podcast. Their love and talent has made this journey all the more interesting. Introduction music by 10-year-old Arkanj Pandey on the clarinet. Episode introduction by Idhya Shalab, age 10, on the piano. And Idhan Shalab, age 6, on the violin. Closing music by 7-year-old Drishan Pandey on the piano. We would also like to thank cinema lovers and makers across the world. It is their passion which drives us.